Well, my birthday weekend is in the books, as was a pretty interesting weekend around the Big East. A lot of things happened, including me almost, almost getting my surprise upset pick of Georgetown, upsetting UConn right. Sure, the outcome may not indicate as such in terms of the final score, but considering Georgetown was winning at the last media timeout, that ballsy prediction almost came true. And then on the other side, a national championship rematch that had a lot of tempers flaring, couple technicals, a lot of holding that went uncalled. And despite only having really six players, UConn really challenged the defending and undefeated but defending national champions and have also undefeated South Carolina Gamecocks, a lot to cover once again here on the Igloo, the coolest podcast in all of college basketball. And of course, the coolest podcast in the Big East. Starting off with UConn and Georgetown, the 24th ranked Huskies. Obviously, they started. Pretty decently, but Georgetown ended the half by scoring seven of the final nine points. And in the second half, UConn had their chances to pull away. As they actually led by eight with 7.43 to go. But Georgetown roared back with an 11-2 run. To take the lead at 61-60, and that was the score heading into the final media timeout, but UConn scores eight of the final nine points of the game, with Alex Caraben knocking down a pair of three-pointers, including the dagger, with just under 30 seconds to go on a helter-skelter kind of play where you had a block, Andre Jackson got the ball back, and found Caraben for the dagger as UConn holds on for a 68-62 win in our nation's capital Four starters for the Huskies in double figures. 15 each for Adama Sonogo and Tristan Newton. Sonogo, 6 of 11 overall. Knocked down his own three-point attempt to the ballgame. Six rebounds as well. Newton, 6 of 14 from the floor. 3 of 5 from distance. Eight boards, six dimes. Caravan with 11 points. Again, six of them in the final four minutes of the game. Four for 10 from the floor. Three of seven from deep. Four boards, four assists. Jordan Hawkins really didn't sh- didn't have his best game. Four of 13, two of seven from deep, 10 points. And Andre Jackson, seven points, three of seven from the floor. Also one of one from deep, but 10 rebounds, seven assists. And the bench was decent. 10 total points, three each from Joey Calcaterra and Naheem Aline, both on three-pointers. And then Donovan Klingon and Hassan Diara each with two points. As for Georgetown, uh, by the way, UConn 50% from behind the arc. 12 for 24. Georgetown 7 of 16, which ain't bad, but they got outshot from three. And UConn wins despite shooting two of five from the free throw line. As for Georgetown, Brandon Murray with a game-high 21 points. 
He did foul out, but was 8 of 18 from the floor, 2 of 5 from behind the arc. How about Jay Heath and his return to the lineup off the bench, 13 points in 26 minutes, 5 of 11 from the floor, 3 of 5 from deep. Hoy has definitely missed his three-point shooting. Caduce Wahab, 10 points, 6 rebounds, and a couple blocks. 6 points, 5 boards off the bench for Bradley as a Wiro. 5 for Bryson Mazzone. Only a 3 from a Cook a Cook. 5 rebounds and a couple blocks against his former team. Jordan Riley, 2 points in 18 minutes, but 1 of 6 from the floor. Wayne Bristol Jr. knocked down a couple free throws, only playing 3 minutes. And Primo Spears, 0 points, only took 1 shot, 2 rebounds, 5 assists. By the way, something troubling, Brandon Murray turned it over seven times in this game. Which is just bonkers. Seven of the ten Georgetown turnovers were committed by Murray. So UConn survives, and number 14 Marquette on National Marquette Day, they faced a bit of a challenge of their own, this, t- this time at home against the Butler Bulldogs. Marquette led by a dozen at halftime, but Butler just didn't go away. They chipped away, chipped away, and before you knew it, all of a sudden, it's a five-point game with three and a half to go. You're like, oh. But Marquette, they they did enough to finish the game strong. I mean, offense was kind of at a premium throughout the entire game, but especially in the last three and a half minutes. Marquette just five points, Butler two, and Marquette wins it 60-52. Tyler Kolick with 13 points and 8 dimes, 4 of 10 from the floor, 1 of 4 from deep, 10 each for Omax Prosper and Chase Ross. Prosper was 3 of 6 from the floor, 2 of 3 from behind the arc. Osuigadaro and Cam Jones each with 8 points. 5 off the bench for David Joplin in 16 minutes, 2 of 7 from the floor, 1 of 5 from deep, so not a great shooting day. For Joplin, six rebounds as well. Four points for Stevie Mitchell in 20 minutes, but played some solid defense to make a difference. And then Ben Gold with two points in 19 minutes, so a total of 17 bench points compared to just six for Butler. And Marquette shot the ball better. 45.8% from the floor, 33% from deep, but... Butler 32% from behind the arc and were held to 38% overall. And Marquette turned him over 19 times. And Butler, again, we all know this. They have struggled offensively. Obviously didn't help that Chuck Harris is out with a concussion. Who knows how long he's going to be out for. So Jaden Taylor started in his place and played all 40 minutes, scoring a game-high 19 points on 6 of 15 shooting, 3 of 6 from behind the arc. Simas Lukosius with a complimentary 15 points, 5 boards, 7 assists, 5 of the, five of 12 from the floor, 3 for 8 from behind the arc. Those two guys hit 6 of Butler's 8 3-point makes. Ali Ali with 7 points, 3 of 9 from the floor, just 1 of 6 from deep. Eric Hunter Jr. with just 3 points. And then Manny Bates held it just 2 points in 24 minutes. 
And then two each off the bench for Jalen Thomas, Miles Wilmoth, and Miles Tate. The team that they were tied with in the standings heading into Saturday, number 16, Xavier, hosting St. John's, by the way, with the just extreme cold in the Northeast over the weekend. St. John's has some travel issues getting to Cincinnati, and they only got there with maybe a couple hours to spare before tip-off. So they ended up tipping off a little past the scheduled 5 o'clock tip on Fox. And maybe that made a difference because Xavier just pounded St. John's. As they hit a team-high, a season-high 15 threes and shot 54% from the floor, as they decimate the Red Storm, 96-71. Jack Nungy with 21 points, 7 of 12 from the floor, 4 of 5 from deep. Bunch of guys really shot it well from three, including Colby Jones, who had 19 points on 7 of 8 shooting, 3 of 4 from deep, 8 points, 8 boards, 4 assists. Nungy with 6 dimes, by the way, which was shockingly a team high. 17 for Sule Boom, 4 of 10 from the floor and 3 of 6 from deep. Jerome Hunter got the start in place of the injured Zach Fremantle. 10.6 boards and 4 assists in 32 minutes, 4 of 7 from the floor. Off the bench though, how about the game for Desmond Claude, the freshman? 11 points in 29 minutes, 4 of 4 overall and 3 of 3 from deep. 3 boards, 3 assists. How about Cam Kraft though? 9 minutes off the bench. Eight points on three of six shooting and one of four from deep. Adam Kunkel was probably the only guy that kind of struggled along with Kraft from deep. Kunkel was also one of four from behind the arc, three of seven overall, four boards, four assists, and then Cesar Edwards um, had three free throws. Meanwhile, St. John's 47% from behind the arc at eight of 17, but inside the arc just... 19 of 52. And that's where they really lost themselves the game. On top of their poor defense. AJ Store and Dylan Nade Wusu with 14 each. 13 off the bench for Andre Corbello in 19 minutes. 6 of 14 from the floor, 1 of 2 from deep. Pasha Alexander, 8 points in 23 minutes, 4 of 12 from the floor. 7 points off the bench for Rafael Pinzon, 3 of 6 from the floor, 1 of 2 from deep. Joel Soriano really kept in check once again, 6 points, 8 boards, 4 assists, 3 of 7 from the floor. And then 5 from Omar Stanley in 23 minutes, and 4 for Colby King in 13 minutes, 6 boards and 3 assists. St. John's, their free fall continues as ever since their upset of UConn in Hartford. They have lost four of their last five. One and two at home, 0 and two on the road. And the two games that they've played on the road, they've given up a combined 200 points. Which is quite frankly humiliating. Trying to find out what the how many points they allowed. And for context, in in the three home games during this five game stretch, 
They've given up 214 points compared to the just 202, their last two road games against Creighton and Xavier. Now, in prime time, Creighton hosting Villanova. Creighton got off to a really solid start. Um, I mean, they used a big first half run to go up eight heading into the locker room. Trying to find where that big breakthrough came. So Nova led 12 to 10, and then for the rest of the half, it was 25-15 Jays. And then Villanova made a charge in the second half, and there were times where it looked like Nova was going to take it. Especially, you know, after a big three by Eric Dixon with 34 seconds left, but Creighton draws a foul, goes two for two. At the charity stripe, trying to find who had those two free throws. I'm trying to remember. It was Trey Alexander. And he also got a big steal on the other end after a timeout. Picking up the steal on Caleb Daniels. And drawing the foul. Going two for two from the line. Making both shots. And then Eric Eric Dixon missed a three. And Nova got... Creighton got the rebound. Baylor Shireman, 2 of 2 from the free throw line. And that does it. Creighton, final six points of the game. They escaped with a 66-61 win. And it was Trey Alexander, again, who made a big difference. 27 points, 8 of 15 from the floor, and 5 of 9 from distance. Ryan Kalkbrenner, 16 points, 5 boards, 7 of 11 from the floor. It also took his first charge of the season in this game. And... Again, he drew the charge successfully. Three blocks as well. Ten points for Ryan Nemhard to go with five assists. Eight points. Eight rebounds for Arthur Kaluma, who just didn't really have his best stuff shooting the rock. One of eight from the floor, one of five from deep. Baylor Shireman, kind of the same thing. One of six from the floor, one of five from deep. But he did hit those two free throws to ice the game in the end. And again, all five starters with those 66 points for Creighton. Didn't really shoot the ball all too well. 37% from the floor. 29% from behind the arc. But they did get to the line more. 19 of 23 compared to 16 for 20 for Villanova. And the catch shot 28% from behind the arc and right around 39% from the floor. They shot an even 50% inside the arc. And it leading the way was Eric Dixon. 20 points, 7 of 18 from the floor though. One of six from deep, and honestly, there shouldn't... Eric Dixon should not be taking 18 shots in a game. No disrespect to him, because he's a very good player. But you shouldn't be relying on him that much. Justin Moore with 13 points on 4 of 11 shooting and 3 of 7 from deep. 12 for Caleb Daniels and 7 rebounds. 9 points for Cam Whitmore, 2 of 5 from the floor, 1 of 4 from deep and 8 rebounds. Brandon Slater with 7 points in 28 minutes. He was battling foul trouble. 2 of 3 from the floor. 1 of 2 from behind the arc. And like Creighton, starters did all the scoring. So Creighton remains hot. They are now 9-3 and three in conference. And then Sunday, Seton Hall continued their strong play. They have now won 8 of their last 10 after starting 0-3 in conference play, 
And this was after they started this game down 15-2. And they didn't get their first field goal of the game until the 10-39 mark of the first half. They ended the first half on a 24-7 run to go up 26-22 heading into the locker room. And they actually led by as many as 17 in the second half. As it was 48-31 after an Al Dawes 3 with 11.46 to go. So down 15-2. So a 46-16 run. That's a 30-point swing in not even 20 minutes. But DePaul just didn't go away. They kept giving Seton Hall fits. And the Pirates kind of kept the door open with some missed free throws. But the Pirates still win the game. It was hideous, but they got it done. 69-64. Tyree Samuel and Kadari Richmond each with 14. Samuel did foul out, but had 7 rebounds and was 5 of 9 from the floor. Richmond, 6 boards and 4 assists. 2 of 8 from the floor and knocked down his only 3-point attempt of the game. And Seton Hall, get this. They took 45 free throws. That's triple the amount DePaul took. And DePaul committed 29 fouls, had three guys foul out once again. And it didn't help that DePaul was just 7 of 15 from the free throw line. Seton Hall was 30 of 45. So that's kind of the game right there, pretty much. So Seton Hall wins also despite shooting just 3 of 14 from behind the arc. And just 34.6% overall. DePaul, their road shooting struggles continue. 40% from the floor, which is actually better than Seton Hall. 5 of 21 from deep. But again, those 7 seven of 15 line from the free throw line. That's a difference maker. Meanwhile, Casey Nadefa with 13 points on 4 of 12 shooting. 12 for Al Dawes. 10 off the bench for Trey Jackson in 16 minutes. Four off the bench for Tay Davis. Again, no Dre Davis. He's still out after suffering an injury last week against Butler. And then two points all from the charity stripe for Femi Odukali, but he was just two of six at the charity stripe. You know, it's the charity stripe for a reason. You got to make those. So even with those problems of missing a lot of free throws, especially in, in the final minutes, you know, they still pull it out. Meanwhile, Umoja Gibson for DePaul, 21 points, 9 of 18 from the floor, 3 of 10 from deep. Deshaun Nelson and KT Ramey in double digits off the bench, although they did foul out. Nelson, 13 points on 6 of 9 shooting, 6 rebounds. Ramey, 3 of 4 from the floor, 1 of 2 from deep in 15 minutes. Yorane also fouled out, 8 points in 19 minutes, 4 of 9 from the floor. Erol Penn with 4 points and 10 rebounds in 26 minutes. They got a, a 3 from Philmont Geberwit, which was the 3 that made it 15-2. to two. Meanwhile, Caleb Murphy really struggled. Just 3 points in 19 minutes. Zion Cruz, 2 points in 7 minutes. So you look at the standings. Xavier Marquette tied for 1st at 11-2. Creighton and Providence tied for 3rd at 9-3. Seen Hall not that far behind at 8-5. Just a game and a half back. UConn right behind them, one game back, now over 500. 
at 7-6. and six. Now, how about this? The Big East with five teams now in the top 25. Marquette has risen all the way to number 10. Xavier now at number 13. Providence dips a little bit to number 20 after they had the bye week over the weekend and going 0-1 this week. UConn jumps up to number 21. And how about Creighton appearing in the polls for the first time since December, rising all the way up to number 23. So this is the most that the Big East has had ranked in any poll this season. So the Big East, at least on the men's side, they're flourishing. But let's check in on the women's side because things are going pretty well. UConn nearly pulled off, like I said, a massive upset over number one and unbeaten South Carolina in Hartford, despite being as shorthanded as they were. All that coming up right here, right now. So, on the women's side, I mean, let's start Saturday afternoon. Trying to remember where to begin. Aha. So, Walsh Gym, Providence, Seton Hall, Pirates got down two after one and got the lead back going into the locker room, but it was all Hall the rest of the way. Big separation was the third quarter. 24 to 8 was the third quarter score to turn it from a four point game into a 20 point game. And Providence, after that, they just couldn't really catch up. And Seton Hall cruises to an easy win 77 52. Sydney Cook's a monstrous game for her 29 points on 12 of 20 shooting, one of five from deep. And the other six, so they made seven three-pointers. The other six were made by Lauren Park Lane, who had 21 points and eight dimes, seven of 16 from the floor, six of 12 from behind the arc. And then Azana Baines, who got the start for the second straight game, thrived in that role once more. 17 points, five boards on eight of nine shooting. By the way, still no Shea Hagen, so Amari Wright got the start. Two points and seven assists in 33 minutes. Maya Bembry, two points, 12 rebounds in 38 minutes. Shailen Pinckney returned to the lineup on Saturday and scored two po- four points excuse me, and, and grabbed four rebounds in 12 minutes. And then they got two points from Alexia Alesh. Seton Hall, I mean, 7 of 20 for three is decent. But they shot 55% from the floor. That's inside the arc. 25 of 38, that's nearly 66%. Whereas Providence, just 3 of 11 from deep. 17 turnovers, 3 of 7 from the free throw line. And uh, 23 of 62 overall, 37%. Naraya Scott off the bench with a team high 19 points in 27 minutes. 8 of 14 from the floor. 2 of 2 from deep. That means the rest of the team is 1 of 9 from long range. Grace Afosa with 14 points on 6 of 11 shooting. 1 of 2 from distance. So she had the other 3 point make. Kylie Shepard 10 points in 36 minutes. 7 for Olivia Olsen who not a great shooting day. 3 of 14 but she did have a team high 12 rebounds 
And then the only other points came from Janae Crooms. Two points, five boards, three assists. Three assists, one for seven from the field, 0 of two from the free throw line. Seton Hall, after, you know, they got some momentum back after winning at St. John's and they keep it going against the Friars. So, moving on. St. John's and Creighton in Omaha. Creighton really seized control in the second quarter. It was only a three-point game after one. A 24-13 advantage in the second to make it a 14-point game heading into the locker room. 44-30. Creighton had more than enough separation as they win at Sokol behind a monstrous shooting day. 58.5% from the floor. 54% from deep, 13 three-pointers, 81-65 your final. 22 points to lead the way for Morgan Molly, who was 9 of 12 from the field and 4 of 7 from distance. 17 each for Emma Ronzik and Lauren Jensen, you know, the other two in that big three for the Jays. Ronzik was 6 of 9 from the floor, 3 of 4 from deep, 5 assists. Jensen, 5 boards, 8 assists, 6 of 13 shooting, 3 of 6. From behind the arc, Rachel Saunders with nine points, four of six from the floor, knocked down her only three-point attempt of the game. Five each from Molly Mogensen and Carly Bachelor, the latter of which did it off the bench in 18 minutes. Eight rebounds, only one shot attempt, and that was a three, which she knocked down. Two of two from the free-throw line. Mogensen with four boards and seven assists, and then two each off the bench from Mallory Brake, Kiani Lockett, and Jamie Haran. As for St. John's, I mean, they didn't shoot it bad. 47% and 46% from deep. But 30-20, to 20, they got out-rebounded. And they only had six three-pointers, while Creighton more than doubled them up in that department with 13. Kadeja Bailey had a team-high 15 points, 6 of 10 from the floor, and 1 of 1 from deep. Jayla Everett, 11 points, 2 of 6 shooting, 1 of 2 from behind the arc. Raven Peoples, 10 points, 5 rebounds. Jillian Archer with 8, 3 of 5 shooting, also knocked down a 3. Uh, Unique Drake, 8 points in 23 minutes off the bench. 7 from Danielle Patterson in 14 minutes. Only a 3 from Mimi Reed to go with 3 assists in 23 minutes, and then... Uh, in seven minutes, Jayla Donald um, logged a three-pointer. So, St. John's, who was red hot, they have now lost back-to-back games. Now, Seton Hall's tied with them. And right now, because they own the tiebreaker with the season sweep, they have the four spot right now. Meanwhile, 19th-ranked Villanova continued their role as they dominated Butler at Hinkle. And at halftime, I mean... It was a 23-point game. It was 49-26. Nova, 78-58 winners. And Maddie Segris continues to be a certified bucket. 31 points on 13 of 19 shooting. One of three from deep. Lucy Olsen definitely coming around as that go-to number two option. 18 points, five assists. Six of 11 from the floor. Three of six from deep. Christina Dalsey, second straight game of the double-double. 13 points, 12 rebounds on 6 of 11 shooting. And three blocks as well. Uh, Maddie Burke knocked down a pair of three-pointers and had three assists. Five off the bench for Zanae Jones. Two of two. 
from the floor, one of which was a three. They got a three from Bella Runyon in 19 minutes, and then uh, two points from Megan Olbrey's in 13 minutes. Brooke Mullen held scoreless, but had five assists, which was tied for the team high with Olsen. Nova, 40% from deep, 8 of 20, and shot 53.4% from the field. Meanwhile, Butler, just 37% overall and 29.2% from deep, 7 of 24. Sydney James with a team-high 16 points, 6 of 8 shooting. Three different players with 8 each, Rachel McLemore, Jordan Muhlmans and Shea Frederick, the last of the last two of them providing a spark off the bench. Muhlmans was two of six from deep. Frederick two of three from behind the arc. Seven points for Anna Mortog in twenty minutes. Just three for Caroline Strand. Three boards and three assists. Three as well for Kelsey Taylor and Tenley Dowell. And just two points for Jessica Carruthers. So Villanova continues their very strong play. And that's their 20th win of the season already. With the way they're trending and where they're ranked now, they keep this up. They could be hosting first and second round action at their house. I was talking about Creighton doing that earlier this year. Obviously, it doesn't seem like they'll do that now, given the current bracket projections. But Villanova, they keep this up. They're going to be hosting games at the Finn that third weekend in March. In Chicago, DePaul just decimating Xavier once again. I think there's what, the second blowout they've had in the last, what, three weeks? 93-48 the final. I mean, it got ugly in the second half. It was 55-20 to in the second half alone. And at halftime, I mean, it was, it was only a 10-point game. It was 38-28. But DePaul just made it look easy. And still without Anaya Peoples, Anissa Morrow with 30 points, in 11 rebounds, 13 of 19 shooting, 3 of 6 from distance. Kendall Holmes had a monster game as well. 21 points on 8 of 18 shooting, 4 of 10 from deep, 6 assists. Darion Rogers bounced back strongly with 17 points on 6 of 15 shooting, 1 of 7 from deep. Meanwhile, Kiki Rimmer came off the bench in this game compared to starting the last one. 15 points, though, in 20 minutes, 5 of 6 from the floor, and a perfect 3 for 3 from deep. Meanwhile, 4 each for Jory Allen and Tara Day. Day had a team-high 12 assists. By the way, DePaul assisted 29 of their 37 makes. Day had more assists than the entire Xavier team. And then two points in six minutes off the bench for Madison Wardell. And a really solid shooting day. I mean, they did a lot of things well. 41-29 to edge on the glass. (laughs) They forced 30 Xavier turnovers. So 50% from the floor, forced 30 turnovers, 
11 threes uh, on 28 attempts, and they hold Xavier to just 18% from deep, 38% overall. Fernanda, Fernanda Ovalle with 16 points on a perfect 7 of 7 from the field and 2 of 2 from deep. Nyla Blackford with 7 and 7 rebounds. Shelby Calhoun with 7 of her own in 22 minutes. Let's see. Anaya Harris with 8 points, but 2 of 10 shooting. 6 points for Courtney Pranger. And 4 points for Kaylee Addy. So Xavier's struggles continue. They're now 0-14 in conference. And for a for DePaul, you know, they de- they definitely needed this one after the slide they've gone on with and with the injuries too. Good for DePaul to get one here. Meanwhile, Marquette hosting Georgetown. This was the women's National Marquette Day game. And Marquette was up 13 after two. And then they ballooned that lead to 23 at the end of three. Credit George, credit Marquette, they played tremendous defense throughout this entire game. I mean, they only scored seven points in the fourth, but by then they had more than enough wiggle room as the Golden Eagles finished the sweep of the Hoyas with a 66-49 win. Jordan King with 23 points and five assists. 10 of 17 from the floor, 3 of 7 from distance. Emily LaChapelle with 11 points in 24 minutes. A double-double for Chloe Murata. 10 points, 13 rebounds on 4 of 11 shooting. 8 off the bench for the freshman Mackenzie Hare. 7 for Rosen Kumu. They got uh, 3 from Micaiah Williams. And Liza Carlin returned to the starting lineup in this one, but only had two points, four rebounds, but five assists. And then they got uh, two points from Kennedy Miles, who whose place Carlin took in the starting lineup, or I guess reclaimed her spot. Big reasons why Georgetown lost this game. Obviously, they didn't shoot the rock as well. But two of seven from the free throw line? Ugh. 3 of 14 from distance also, that's 21% compared to Marquette. Not that much better, but 27%. And for the game, Georgetown was under 40% from the field. Marquette right around 42%. For Georgetown, Kelsey Ransom really had to carry the low with 23 points and 7 rebounds. 10 of 19 from the floor, 2 of 4 from behind the arc. The rest of her team was just 1 of 10 from 3-point range. Six points each for Grace Ann Bennett and Kennedy Fauntleroy. Bennett just three of seven from the floor. Fauntleroy, not that much better, well, even worse, three for ten. Five off the bench for Victoria Rivera in 13 minutes. Four points for Christina Moore. Three for Jada Claude, who only played 11 minutes, and then two points in 17 minutes for Kalia Myricks. But obviously the big blockbuster game over the weekend. Number one, South Carolina at number five, UConn. UConn scorching hot in the first quarter. And thanks to a Lou Lopez-Senechal banked-in buzzer-beating three to end the quarter. UConn was up 11 after the first 10 minutes. And then South Carolina chipped their way, you know, they clawed their way back and tied it at 34 heading into the locker room. And that's when you saw UConn kind of get winded. South Carolina take advantage of that. It also didn't help that, as I've come to notice, 
the refs missed a lot of stuff, including Lou Lopez Senechal getting held on uh, a bunch of possessions, which pissed Gino Oriana, Jory, Gino Oriema off so much that he spiked a water bottle onto the XL Center Court and picked up a tee for it. I don't blame him for being that frustrated because, yeah, she was getting held like crazy. You know, she was holding like she was a Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman. See what I did there? Well, no, South Carolina was holding her like they were offensive linemen for the Chiefs. There we go. I think that I worded that better. Not to mention late in the game, they missed a blatant violation because on the inbounds pass, according to the rule book, you can't just hand the ball to somebody inbounds because by the transitive property or whatever, because the inbounder's out of bounds, handing the ball to a player that's inbounds, that means the inbounds player is ineligible to... By the transit property, like I said, it's hard to word it. Because grabbing the ball from a player out of bounds means that it's out of bounds because the ball was never fully inbounded. Because the ball has to be released from the inbounder. Like fully released. Because if it's hand if it's handed off, she still has possession of the ball while standing out of bounds. Therefore, it's out of bounds. And the refs missed it. I don't know how, but they did. But South Carolina kind of took advantage of UConn, you know, fizzling out a little bit with their hot shooting. But UConn, they damn near made it a game. They actually cut it down. I'm trying to think what the lowest they cut it. They got it down to... I'm trying to think what the... like they. I think four was the lowest margin they had it at. And that was the final outcome. South Carolina winning 81-77. By the way, uh, Camilla Cardoso, you know, she fouled out, but also got an ejection, uh, got a technical foul before she left because... Uh, When she picked up her fifth foul, she spiked the ball in frustration and got teed up for it, which ended up technically being your sixth personal. But Aaliyah Boston, this was her day, 26 points, 11 rebounds, 8 of 16 from the floor, 9 of 11 from the charity stripe. But you look at the free throw discrepancy. South Carolina, 36 free throws. UConn, just 25 But but South Carolina protected the ball better. Just six turnovers compared to UConn's 13. And the Huskies were only two of six from behind the arc and got out-rebounded 42-30. to South Carolina was just three of 15 from three compared to UConn two for six. Percentage-wise, UConn was a lot better. And they were a lot better shooting the ball, too. UConn was nearly 52%. But those extra free throws make a difference. Because South Carolina was just around 39%. But those free throws, you know, they made a difference. Meanwhile, Cardoso was 17 points and 11 rebounds off the bench. And in 36 minutes off the bench, Raven Johnson, the freshman, with 14 points and 7 assists. 4 of 12 from the floor, 1 of 5 from deep. And she took the place of Kiara Fletcher, who had just 2 points in 4 minutes. 
Meanwhile, eight points for Zaya Cook, but she was just two of 15 from the floor, 0 of four from deep. And I just think it's kind of ironic that she was, she posted on Instagram, you know, bragging about, you know, beating UConn on the road and locking up and putting on a strong defensive performance. But like, uh, excuse me. I don't know how much room you have to talk when you were just two of 15 from the floor. We all know who carried you to a win and it was your bigs, not your, not your guards like you. Let's be real here. Meanwhile, six each for Bria Beal and Leticia Amahir. And the latter which did off the bench in 20 minutes. And then just two points for Victoria Saxton in 10 minutes. Meanwhile, for UConn, really they only played six players because they only brought in Amari DeBerry and Enish Betancourt for fouling purposes late. But Aaliyah Edwards had 25 points on 10 of 14 shooting in 29 minutes. Did pick up four fouls. Meanwhile, Lou Lopez Senechal and Nika Mule each fouled out. Uh, Lopez Senechal, 7 of 15 from the floor, 1 of 2 from deep, 5 rebounds, 19 points. Mule with 11 points, 4 boards, and 4 assists, 4 of 6 from the floor, knocked down her only 3-point attempt of the game. 17 for Aubrey Griffin, 5 of 10 shooting. Meanwhile, Dorky Juhas limited to just five points and seven rebounds, two of nine shooting as well. And then Ayanna Patterson played 14 minutes off the bench and did not score, picked up three fouls as well. So that was the weekend that was on the women's side, and UConn, despite being a shorthanded, nearly pulled the upset against the, the team that beat them to win the national championship and a team that really got pushed by them despite only having six to improve to 23 and0 on the season Meanwhile Yukon they fall to 21 and three but they end up moving up in the polls they are now number four in the country Meanwhile Villanova they have jumped up all the way to number 15 hence why I kind of brought up the point of them potentially hosting first and second round games in the NCAA tournament. You know, I'm trying to think of how many weeks that. Like five and a half weeks from now. So, without further ado, I mean, let's get going with these midweek picks. So, tonight, doubleheader on FS1 on the men's side, starting with a ranked showdown between number 10 Marquette and number 21 UConn. You know, Marquette finally beat UConn for the first time since realignment, the last time they met January 11th. This time around, it's at XL, which UConn has been worse in this season based on the numbers and the fact that, you know, out of their three home losses this year. No, that can't be right. Well, they've lost once at XL and, well, once at Gamble, but historically they're much better at Gamble than XL. So it's crazy to think UConn 
is a 76% favor according to ESPN BPI. You know, Marquette's been playing really well. I mean, they're they're playing like the best team in the conference right now. If if Marquette's won, by the way, Xavier's 1A. And Xavier has the bye week this for this slate. So Xavier fans are going to be rooting hardcore for UConn in this game. Because if Marquette loses, Xavier will be all alone in first place, ahead by a half a game. I'm going to take UConn winning at home. I feel that in my gut. By the way, this is surprising. Butler's a one and a half point favorite against St. John's at Hinkle in the second game of that doubleheader at 8.30. Listen, St. John's has looked just awful over, you know, since that, like I said, since upsetting UConn. They are minus 71. And their only win was thanks to AJ Storr saving their butts on a three in the final seconds against Georgetown. But some's telling me, I don't know, I saw this line, I'm like, no way. In in a way, maybe, it feels like a bit of a mockery against St. John's. I think they're going to take it personally. That's bulletin board material. And I think that's going to fire them up. They played so poorly the last five games, as I mentioned before. I think they get this one back. Give me the Johnnies winning at Hinkle for the second year in a row. Now, Wednesday, another doubleheader on FS1 that starts with number 23 Creighton visiting Seton Hall. I mean, Creighton's on a roll right now. Seton Hall's been playing really well. Again, winners of eight of their last ten. Uh, by the way, only because I know this as an alum, it's Bounce and Trounce, an annual tradition at Seton Hall that dates back bare minimum two decades. I may be wrong on that, but I know it was a staple when I when I first got there. It was probably a staple maybe like a, well, I think at least a decade before that. May have to do some historical research to figure that out. But on Bounce and Trounce night, I mean, let's be real. Creighton got embarrassed when they went to Newark last year. And the Blue Jays got swept by Seton Hall last year. They pounded them in Omaha the first time around. It won't be the same in, in Newark. Not at all, I would think. But I think Creighton still wins. Seton Hall, the big thing is they're going to have to dictate the pace. Limit Kalkbrenner down low. Like Casey Nadefo. By the way, you're going to have the two best interior defenders going up against each other in this game with Kalkbrenner and Nadefo. But I still got Creighton winning this game. Now, CBS Sports Network, 8 o'clock. Providence hosting Georgetown, the 20th ranked Friars. I mean, Providence is going to win this game. Georgetown has been a lot more competitive ever since they finally ended that long losing streak in Big East play. Do I think they'll keep it competitive? Sure. But for how long is the real question. Providence still wins. Now, 
Final game of that doubleheader on FS1. Villanova hosting DePaul. I mean, this is part of a three-game homestand for the Wildcats. They got DePaul to start it off. Then they go to Wells Fargo Saturday night to take on Seton Hall. And then on Valentine's Day, they'll end the homestand back at the Finn against Butler. If you're Villanova, consider you're 10-13 and 13 right now. And you're 4-8 and eight in the Big East. You sweep this homestand, and you're now 7-8 and eight in conference, and you're back to 500 overall. And I don't want to look too far ahead, but in terms of, you know, getting the trifecta, I think Villanova gets the job done, and they win this game. So, by the way, if you're looking at lines, UConn, five-point favorites. It was either five or five and a half against Marquette tonight. Butler minus one and a half over St. John's, and then Creighton, three-and-a-half-point favorites at Seton Hall. Providence, 14-and-a-half-point favorites over Georgetown. Villanova, minus nine over DePaul. Tonight on the women's side, Creighton visiting Seton Hall, oddly enough. The last time they met in Walsh Gym, oh my God, what a game. A double overtime thriller where Creighton survived. The last time they met, though, Creighton just blew the doors off the Pirates, winning by 22. Obviously, Creighton's come more into form. They've taken the number three spot in the conference, and I think they're going to keep the momentum going, and they beat Seton Hall in Seton Hall again. They're a tough team to beat in Walsh. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, ever since they, I think they lost, Two of their first three home games, but they've only lost one Big East game at home this year, which was UConn, but I think it will be two. I'm going to take Creighton picking up their 11th conference win of the year. Now, Wednesday night, you got number 15 Villanova visiting Georgetown. Listen, I made a shocking upset pick involving Georgetown on the men's side over the weekend. You know what? I'm that may that may have backfired. But given Georgetown's play really over the last month or so, which included you know they beat Seton Hall at home. They challenged Villanova at the Finn and only lost by 7. They challenged UConn at the XL Center. They've beaten DePaul. They challenged Creighton pretty well. With this game being at McDonough, I mean, if you're Villanova, I mean, you don't want to be caught looking ahead because you got a tough slate coming up. Because you got Seton Hall at home, at St. John's, and then UConn. The next three games after this. I doubt that Denise Dillon is going to have her team, you know, forgetting about the fact that Georgetown's right in front of them. But Coach Howard has, he's doing something right to be getting what he's getting out of his team. Because right now, they stand, they're in eighth, but they're only a game behind DePaul for the seventh seed. By the way, preseason, I just want to show for the record, I had him as the eight. So, I didn't, I didn't make the mistake of underestimating them like the coaches pulled in. So, long story short, my men's Georgetown upset pick may have backfired. 
But I'm still sticking with my gut. Give me, give me Georgetown upsetting Maddie Segrist and Nova in our nation's capital. Now, St. John's at Xavier. I mean, come on. This goes without saying at this point. St. John's wins at Cintas. 8 o'clock. Butler DePaul at Wintrust. Yeah, DePaul wins. You got to get your mojo back. Good way to get it against Xavier. Got to keep it going against Butler. And I think they do in this game at Wintrust. Now, SNY, fourth-ranked UConn visiting Marquette. Marquette, New Year's Eve at Gamble. They pushed UConn, and the Golden Eagles lost by only 13. Which... For Big East standards, I think that's saying something. I mean, other than Villanova, Marquette played them better than any other team in the conference, I would say. But do I think they'll have enough to beat UConn, even with only having really six players in their rotation? I don't know. I just don't think so. So I'm going to take UConn beating Marquette at the Al. And the thing is with Marquette, I mean, look at what happened last year. They hung tough for three quarters, and then UConn blew them out in the fourth. It might be a little more the opposite, where UConn starts off hot and has enough to win. But the last time around, UConn was stronger in the second half to pull away and win it by 13. I don't want to be so quick to say that UConn's going to win by double digits because I want to give Marquette their due respect. They're 8-6 and six in the league. They are treading water for a tournament spot. And as it stands right now, and I, and I want to bring this up, Trying to find it right now, courtesy of uh, Charlie Cream on ESPN.com. Looking at last team in, first team out, ironically enough, Big East teams. Marquette's the last team in. St. John's is the first team out, and Seton Hall is among the first four out as well. Obviously, Creighton's in the field, UConn, and Villanova. And Villanova right now is... Am I missing something? I, they're a six seed right now. I think they're getting a little disrespected. I'm not saying they should get get a four seed right now, but six. I feel like five is a better number. But whatever. That's gonna do it for this episode of the Igloo. Thank you again for tuning in. No appreciation posts required. And yes, that was subl- that was subliminal. That was a. And if you followed me on Twitter, you know how adamant I am. And obviously, when you're doing this, as long as I have on season four and getting to cover multiple Big East tournaments, men's virtually in 2021, and then this past year in 2022 going in person to Mohegan Sun for the women and then for the men at the Garden. Sure. Would it be nice to get a couple big-time names on the men's side? 
on my show? Absolutely. But through thorough analysis, nonpartisanship, and overall knowledge of the game and of this conference, historically, knowing the game of basketball, among a host of other aspects. This is the real Biggie's podcast to go to. And I hate the fact that I had it had to come to me marking my territory here. But I've always been happy for myself whenever I book had big time guests. But never once have I bragged about it. Ever. And at the end of every season, and y'all know this if you follow me, I thank every single one of my guests personally at the end of the year, not just a blanket thing where I tag a shit ton of accounts. I sing, I individually thank every single guest. Every one of them matters. And it's not, it's not a tool for clout. Okay? Not to mention the round table. It's a tradition that has become a staple of the show. It's something that's fun every year to look forward to in the preseason. I know I'm getting on my soapbox here. At this point, I don't care anymore. But just when, when you see the cockiness, the, the bragging, the braggadocious nature, you it ruffles your feathers a little bit. And you can tell in my voice, it sure as hell has rattled me because, and the reason why I take it so personally is because I know I never do that myself. So if I know I never do this myself, you bet your ass I'm not tolerating that from anyone else. Because you know how much money I make from this podcast? Although I would like to make some money through monetization, you know, maybe getting some sponsors that actually matter, not just you're doing a favor. Zero dollars and zero cents. Not to mention, I at least know smart enough, at least I'm smart enough to know that if I'm going to do any advertising, get any sponsors, they're going to be with businesses that you Big East fans know about. Not just some business, no disrespect to any of the local businesses around my area, but they don't really matter to you guys. And I know that, and that's okay. But I want to give my, you know, allow businesses near the towns in which you go to games for Big East basketball to give them their time to shine and let them advertise, give them the platform to drum up business for them. And I don't want to make it seem like they're a charity case either, okay? Like Dana Gardens, for example. I love their content. I would love to have them sponsor my show because they seem like a fun bar and it's a Xavier-specific bar. Not to mention they would they openly volunteer to host a potential Big East hot dog eating contest. Can't top that. Not to mention I have the pulse of Big East Twitter. And I'm not chasing clout. 
End of story. That's why the Igloo is and always will be the coolest podcast, not just in the Big East, but in all of college basketball. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll catch you all next time.